are continuing a sermon series. It is called Good News People. Because as we look at the world around us, there's plenty of bad news. And if we're complaining about how we only hear the bad news, guess who has the good news? It's us. And so if the world's not getting enough good news, then we must not be talking enough. We must not be raising <clears throat> that hallelujah that we just sang about. So what I want to encourage us in is to be people of good news. Here's where we've been, where we're going. Last week we were rejected. It gets better. Uh, this week we're going to be in God we trust. But notice that's with a question mark. <clears throat> I actually took out a dollar bill uh, yesterday to make sure that that's still on there. <laughs> it is. Well, at least the one I had. I may have had that since 1970. No, anyway. <clears throat> so in God we trust. And then you can see the rest of where we're headed throughout the series uh, but basically, the whole point of this is that we're able to share the good news with other people, and there's a good reason for that. So we're going to start today with God we trust, question mark. Now, I don't know if anybody else does this, but are you familiar with this idea of the Parade of Homes? How many people are, are fans of Parade of Homes? You go and you look at all these houses, and you, you see everything that you don't have, and... Uh, <laughs> My wife uh, majored in interior design. I'm not going to throw you under the bus. It's all good. But she loves to go and look at houses because she can appreciate both the aesthetics and the function. And she'll look at a kitchen and go, oh, that kitchen is not designed for the workflow. And I'm like, can you eat there? That's all I need. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Opposites are track, right? And she'll look at, at all these ideas, and then we get all these great ideas for what we want to do at our house someday, you know, the the, the dream retirement home and all that. And I'm fascinated, but at the same time, uh, you know, she kind of does that by herself now. But anyway, uh, this whole parade of homes idea is is fascinating because people always go and they look at all these marvelous homes, and of course they're they're dressed to the T, right? You're not going to go into some, oh, yeah, I just didn't make the bed today. No, they're very, very laid out and very beautiful. But you know one thing that I have never heard anyone say after a parade of home? Wow, did you see that foundation? That foundation was so awesome. I mean, did you see the way the concrete was laid and, and the way that it had, had cured up? Now, this is obviously not Texas. We don't put basements and homes in Texas, right? But uh, this, this would be what you call a basement for, for Texans, and it happens uh, somewhere up north. Now, when we lived in South Dakota, that was, uh, I think that was the first time we actually built a house. There was no base housing available at the time, and so we went out and we contracted to build a house from scratch. It was very exciting. And of course, when you're married to an interior designer, she has all the, this is what this needs to be, this is the way that needs to be, and it was perfect. Now, here's the challenge. If anybody has ever lived in South Dakota, your building season is pretty short, right? So there's not a lot of time available for that. And so we contracted, I'm, you know, great, this is awesome. The guy told me, yeah, we'll get her done in 90 days. That should have been my first warning. <laughs> no, you won't. I know that now. But every day I would drive by because uh, would drive by on the way home where we were staying and check out the house. Has anybody else done this? Is it just me? Am I geeking out right now? Yeah, no, you check that out. Every time it's like, ooh, they cleared the land. This is awesome. Ooh, they dug a hole. This is awesome. Ooh, they put the frame up. This is awesome. And, and they're starting to pour concrete. This is awesome. And I was all excited until this, it kind of looked like that. It, the concrete was up and it was sitting there and there was day after day I drove by and there was no change. And I'm like, come on, Skippy, we're on a, a, a schedule here. We got to get this going before winter sets in. And so I actually called the guy and said, you know, I've been by for a few days now and I've not noticed any change. 
He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we poured the foundation, but the concrete needs to cure. And I said, I didn't know it was sick. <laughs> he said, no, <clears throat> you trust me, you want to do this right, especially up here because of all the vast temperature changes. Uh, we're spraying it down every day. We're letting it cure. It's going to be super strong. And if we don't get that right, it doesn't matter what we do to the rest of the house. You've got to have your foundation right, especially up here. Okay, I wasn't happy about it, but he's a professional. Let him do his job. Turns out he was actually right. You've got to have a good foundation to the house because nothing else matters if the foundation is not good. But that's not what we look at on the parade of homes. We look at the, the spectacular arrangement or the how many stories or the movie room or the built-in basketball court. Anybody have one of those? Yeah, <laughs> cool. <laughs> but we don't look at the foundation. My point today is maybe we should be looking at the foundation. Now, if we think about the foundation of a house, that's one thing. That makes perfect sense. But what makes a house a home? Any guesses? A house is just a structure. But what's a home? That's where your family is, right? And so the family, the relationships that are there. When we talk about church, we don't talk about the structure. We talk about us, the relationships that we have with each other and the relationship that we have with God. So if a firm foundation is necessary for the house, what is the foundation for the relationship? Anybody guess? It's trust. You've got to have trust. And that's what the psalmist is talking about today. So what we're going to talk about is trust, but in terms of relationships. And so I read from Psalm 146 this morning, but I only read a couple of verses. I'm going to read the rest of Psalm 146, and you're going to hear a very clear message of where the psalmist thinks our trust should lie. I'm going to let uh, y'all forward me through the scripture part. <laughs> I trust that technology will work. I'm often disappointed, aren't you? <laughs> here we go. Psalm 146, as we get through here, this is what the psalmist says. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes. In human beings who cannot save, when their spirit departs, they will return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed, gives food to the hungry. That sounds familiar. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down and loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner, sustains the fatherless and the widow. He frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. These are the words of God for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. Did you catch the idea of who we should trust? I mean, this is one of those texts that you can look at and go, I, I get it, Bill. Don't trust humans. Trust God. Amen. Let's go home and watch the Super Bowl, right? But there's a lot we have to unpack here because if we fail to absorb this fully, then we will go right back to what we've always done, and we will trust ourselves, and we will trust human institutions, and we will forget about God, and then we'll be disappointed again. So what is it that we have to learn today? Well, we need to learn a little bit about trusting God. Now, 
and God we trust with the question mark tells me that do we really trust God? I mean, when you talk to people about your faith, well, let me back up. If you talk to people about your faith, do you feel confident in that? Do you feel confident going to someone and saying, hey, I am a follower of Jesus. I want to tell you about what he's done in my life. Now, I hope we have some degree of confidence, but there's always that little tinge, isn't there? A tinge that holds us back. What are they going to think about me? Are they going to think I'm weird? Are they going to think I'm in a cult? Are they going to think that I believe in fairy tales? Are they going to think that I'm intellectually impaired because I just can't understand the, the grand science of things and I have to make up fairy tales and stories to explain things? Again, anybody else feel this or is this just me? <laughs> right? you know, there's all kinds of reasons that we kind of question if we should trust in God. It's hard to trust in God. It's not easy to trust in God. But it is absolutely essential. And we're going to make a case for why. So let's start here. Here's two key questions I always ask myself when it comes to trusting in God. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to ask the questions, but then we're going to unpack them a little bit too. Here's the first question I ask. Did God ever do something he said he wouldn't do? That's question one. And the second question is much like it in the opposite. Did God ever not do something he said he would do? This is where we get in trouble because we have our perceptions of what God should be. And in that very perception of what God should be, we just make God more like ourselves than letting him be God. And so when we say, did God ever do something he said he wouldn't do? Well, yeah, if I look at it from my perspective, there's all kinds of expectations I had that he didn't fulfill. And so in my mind, he didn't do what he said he'd do. But you can't go by my mind. What do you go by? This book. Honestly, it, we've been talking about Bible reading plans since the start of the new year. It's almost like there's a strategy behind all this, right? So as you read through the Bible, go back and ask yourself, as I read Scripture, did God do something he said he would not do? I think you'll find the answer is no. He, he did everything he said he would. Bill, what about the, the exile? You know, he took his people and they were overrun by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and they were taken into exile. Yeah, God said he would do that. Well, how is that possible? How is God loving and, and why would he do that? Well, because he sent a whole bunch of prophets right before all that. You can read it all right here. that said, look, people, we've lost our way and if we don't turn back, there's going to be consequences. God said that. And then they didn't turn back and then God did that. And there were consequences. But here's the best news of all. God's story is not done there. Because God also has a plan further on down the line that he is going to bring us all back together. God said that. I'm pretty sure God will do that. And later we see Jesus Christ. And even later we're going to see him again. God said that. God will do that. The other one is that did God ever not do something he said he would do? This is where my expectations come in line because, again, I'm often disappointed. I think things should go a certain way, and when they don't, I'm disappointed, just being honest. But that's not what God's plan is. And over time, uh, the ability to look backwards on things, you have a different perspective. I was just talking to somebody yesterday. Was it one of you we were talking about how the age is the most valuable tool that we have in looking back? It was at the Family Hope Food Fair, I know. My brain was frozen. I don't remember who I talked to, but th this was it. It's like, you know, the, the longer I live and the longer I can look back on things, I can see God's hand. I can see how God moved or nudged or didn't move when it was just the right thing to do. 
I, I hope and pray that we can all have that perspective. And it doesn't take age. It takes wisdom. And where does wisdom come from? Not my expectations. Wisdom comes from God. And if we don't have it, the scripture tells us to ask for it. So there's a good prayer request for you. Ask for wisdom from God. Help me see, God, where you're working. Help me see where you're not working and why. Help me to walk your path and not make my own. I think we can trust God, but let's, let's build a little bit more of a case here. Why should I trust God? That's always a good question because if we don't know that, we're not going to do it at all. Here's why I trust God. He has the best long-term vision of anybody I know. And that long-term vision is going to cause us to be reconciled, to be brought back together into his presence, just like he planned from the very beginning. His long-term plan and vision, if you, if you listen to this, this ought to sound familiar from a couple weeks ago. Listen to what his long plan, long-term plan is going to do. Upholds the cause of the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, sets prisoners free, sight to the blind. Any of that sound familiar from two weeks ago? God's plan is God's plan. It has not changed, and it will not change. He's the one that will never change plans. He's the one that will never deviate from the mission. And the mission is a good one. I mean, look at all these benefits. He watches over the foreigner, sustains the fatherless, the widow, frustrates the ways of the wicked. Humans don't do that. Well, sometimes humans do that. And i got to give credit where credit is due. Sometimes humans do amazing things. But as our script says, the minute that their spirit departs and they return to the ground, what happens to those plans? They come to nothing. Who's the best bet long term? There you go. God and his son, Jesus Christ, who shows the way. So I can, if you want to set up for a major disappointment, trust in humans alone. I'm not saying don't trust anybody. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying put your foundational trust in God and build from there. It's complicated, but I think we're up to the task. Jesus uh, has this to say <clears throat> when he was talking to his disciples. He's getting ready to depart, and they don't know. They don't, it hasn't sunk in to them yet when he's saying these words in John 14. But listen to what he says to his disciples. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Uh, that I am going there to prepare a place, or would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. See, Jesus is a big fan of the house with many rooms. And if you're going to build a house with many rooms, you better have a firm foundation because the last thing you want is to get all these people in the house and then have that crack and crumble. It's not the way Jesus operates. I think Jesus knows that. I think Jesus gets that. So why would I trust God? Because he's the one who's going to build that foundation, the foundation that will last. And as the psalmist says, will reign forever. No human will do that. This is a good reason to, to trust in that foundation. How do you trust God? So if I've convinced you that it, we should trust God, let's, let's talk about actually how to do this. Now, I could go into all kinds of details about spiritual disciplines and things that we should do uh, from a theological perspective. We can use $25 words, but let's cut to the chase, shall we? Let's make this simple. I want everybody in the room right now to think of someone that you trust, that you would literally put your, hand, their, your life in their hands. 
And when you, well, I'm going to give you a second. I want you to actually think of this person. Who is that person that you trust so much that you would put your life in their hands? Think about that. Get that picture in your head. Now ask yourself, how did I come to trust that person that way? How is it that I trust that person so much? I'll bet it, it started with some type of relationship where you got to know them. I'll bet it started with something where you talked to them on a regular basis and began to see something in their character that was trustworthy. I'll bet there were experiences with this person that they came through that you found out, yes, I can trust them. And they are there in the good times, in the bad times. They're trustworthy. As you think about that person, think about that same process that you went through and apply it to God. There's something in this character that I recognize that is trustworthy. There's someone that I've talked to, and we call that prayer in Christian terms. There's someone that I want to get to know better that I spend time with to learn more about. We call that reading scripture, meditation, contemplation. There's someone that has been there in the tough times and in the good times. He's been there. That's God. And that's a God that we can trust. And that's how we do that. Take that same process that you use for that person you trust and trust the person of God. <clears throat> Ultimately, <clears throat> it comes down to this. And, and this, is, this all sounds wonderful, right? But you're thinking, okay, Bill, I thought that this was about being good news people. What does this have to do with being good news people? I thought... Good news people would be out there evangelizing, handing out tracts on the street corner, uh, talking to people, you know, knocking on the window when they pull up to the stoplight and go, hey, do you know where you're going tonight if you die? Um, anybody? No. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not actually what I'm talking about. That's, that's one form, about this much of what it takes to be good news people. And it's not for everybody, and that's okay. In fact, I would question how effective that approach is, but... Here's what Jesus says. In my Father's house are many rooms. Here's what Jesus didn't say. I'm going to prepare a house for you. You're going to have your very own house all by yourself. You can do whatever you want. You can watch the Chiefs and Eagles play the Super Bowl over and over on reruns, especially if the Chiefs win. Uh, you could... <laughs> did that come out? Sorry. <laughs> I was thinking it. I didn't mean to say it. That you can do whatever you want. I'm going to build a house for you. Not what Jesus says. Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. And if you're going to have many rooms, you better have that firm foundation that can sustain all those many, many rooms. It's, this, this is the thing where we become good news people. We recognize that while Jesus is a personal Savior, Jesus isn't building my foundation for my house. Jesus is building a foundation for all the world. And until I own my piece of that building the foundation, there's going to be fewer people who are building on solid ground. If I really believe that following Christ results in a firm foundation upon which I can build, if I really believe that that same firm foundation is going to hold me up, and, by the way, the next generation and the next generation, my children and my children's children, then I have
have a responsibility to share that good news. Do I not? Here's the thing. that It, it makes it interesting, I think, for us in North America. Because in America, we've had a good tradition of, of Christian heritage. We've had a good wave, a good ride, if you will, of Christian majority. And so uh, I'm not saying that, that you know, let's, let's take over the world. What I'm, I'm not that way. <laughs> what I'm saying is it's been very easy to be a Christian in North America. My parents and my grandparents, there was no question. You were at church on Sunday, and you did all the church things. It was the water that we swam in. But I sense a tide turn. I sense that the wave is decreasing slightly for a variety of reasons. You see it in the polarization of our country. You see it in the deprioritization of our relationship with God. And we're starting to see the effects of that as we relate to one another. In other words, we're not, no longer building on a solid foundation. The foundation is beginning to crumble. This is my personal belief. Now, that sounds like really cheery news, doesn't it? But here's the thing. The foundation doesn't have to continue to crumble. Foundations can be shored up. Cracks in foundations can be repaired. And I know the one who repairs them better than anyone. His name is Jesus Christ. And it starts with that trust that we have in him. So what I would ask us to do is to own the foundation. Now, we're not responsible for saving someone. I want to make that very clear. I don't save anybody. Jesus Christ does that. But if I don't invite them into that relationship, if I don't help them walk through these scriptures and answer those two questions, did God ever do anything he said he wouldn't do or not do something he said he would do, then their foundation is going to be a mix, a mix of things of this world, a mix of things of God. And anytime you mix those two together, what happens? Yeah, there's, there's potential for cracks. And here's the irony. You can have a pretty sloppy foundation for a very long time, as long as there's no pressure applied to it. But look at the foundations that you have right now. Let's pick on a couple. Foundation of your marriage. When there's no pressure, it's easy to build a, a beautiful marriage. What happens when you have pressure applied to that? If you don't have a good foundation, that relationship can crack. What about parenting? Parenting's the easiest thing ever. <laughs> Not, right? If you don't have a good foundation in how you're parenting and the purpose for your parenting and a good foundation with your kids and they know what this whole thing is about when you train them up in the way they should go when they're old, they will not depart from it, that one, then when you have pressure in that relationship, that can cause fractures. And I'm not saying that you're never going to have an argument. That's just not realistic. Right? But if you have an argument and you have some turmoil, but you have a solid foundation, you're going to be okay. That's the point I'm trying to make. It's all about the foundation. The, the last point I want to make about this owning of this foundation is that we're all in this together, like it or not. And so if I have this good news, if I know that my trust builds a solid foundation, but I don't share that with anybody else, I'm building what you would call, I don't know, an island. And it's just me. And, and that sounds pretty good to some of us, doesn't it? Yeah, if I can just isolate myself from the world and I got my foundation, I'm good. Hey, I'm up. Pull up the ladder. But here's the thing. It's never just that. The foundation extends across the world. And, and while I might have a solid one right here, there's something attached to it that might not be. 
if I don't own that part of telling other people that good news and helping them also form a solid foundation, there's going to be crumbling that occurs that will come right up to my doorstep. You don't believe me? Think about all those people. We talked about the, the exile. How many good and righteous people were swept up in that process? There are consequences. And it's not just about me. It's about us. How many good and righteous people followed God, did everything that they were supposed to do, had that solid relationship built on the rock, but because of the society around them and as it began to crumble and the consequences came, they got swept up into that. Because this is what I do not want for my kids. It's what I don't want for my grandkids. I want to build on a rock that will be there. A rock that will last through the generations. As the word says, the Lord reigns forever, your God, for all generations. I don't want to just get by for my life. I want to hand a legacy. I want to hand a legacy of a solid foundation. One that will last forever. One that is capable enough to build a house with many rooms. That's what I want. And that's what I want for word service. But until we own our part in helping to establish that firm foundation, we risk a crumbling foundation. Oh, see, see when I pointed it, it worked. <laughs> but coming back to this idea of the parade of homes. You know, I often wonder, what will people say about WordServe Church 100 years from now when there's a parade of churches? They'll talk about, uh, well, yeah, there was that people called WordServe. Yeah, they, uh, they said life was different. They said that their mission was to make disciples, and they did some great things in the community, but where are they now? I wonder if they'll look back at the, the ruins of a building and question whatever happened to WordServe. I wonder if our congregation will survive on a firm foundation. I wonder if we'll still continue to impact the world around us 100 years from now. <clears throat> or will they <clears throat> look at this, uh, this great magnificent building that we're in and see it torn down or in disrepair? You know what I hope people will say 100 years from now about WordServe? Wow. Look at that foundation. Look at the foundation that WordServe built. Actually, let me make that more correct. Look at that firm foundation that Jesus Christ built through the people called WordServe. It's still intact today. It's still bringing people into that house with many rooms. See, WordServe had it right. They weren't worried about what the show was. They were worried about the foundation. And they put all their time and effort into trusting God into building a firm foundation, a foundation big enough and solid enough that we could build a house with many rooms, except we're not the ones building it. To the extent that we allow Christ to work through us, to the extent that we allow God to work in our lives and change us and build us on a firm foundation, then we will have a firm foundation, the kind that Jesus can build a house on with many rooms, and all people will be welcome. So it's not about in God we trust, question mark. It's in God we trust, period. Now, most people, when you say 
period, then they say another phrase. Uh, in God we trust, period. What's the next phrase people say? End of story. But let me tell you, words are, it's not the end of the story. In fact, it's just the beginning. And I can't wait to see where God takes us. Will you pray with me, please? God, we thank you that you are a God that we can trust. Forgive us when we don't. Forgive us when we look to other things, including ourselves, our pride, our attitude of pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and just be tough about it. And I recognize that that's a very temporary solution, one that will disappoint generations to come. God, I also know that that's not your plan because your son Jesus Christ tells us about the house that he is going to prepare. The same house that has many rooms, many more than we could occupy, and that's the point. It's not just about us. It's about all those people you call us to share this good news with. So God, equip us, first by helping us to trust you. Help us in our unbelief. Help us in our distrust to form that firm foundation first. God, as we experience